Welcome. You're listening to a worship podcast from St. Matthew's Episcopal Church. St. Matt's is a neighborhood church with a worldwide community located near the St. Paul campus of the University of Minnesota. We're a community of people invited by Christ to meet him at his table, in each other, and in our neighbors. As apprentices, we practice following the way of Jesus as expressed in the Anglican tradition, in the power of the Spirit, so we can participate in God's healing of ourselves and the world. My name is Blair Pogue, and I'm the rector or lead pastor of St. Matthew's. This podcast is for December 12, 2021, the third Sunday in Advent. Let's begin with a prayer. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. My sermon is going to refer to two of the readings appointed for the third Sunday in Advent. Since the first one is short, I'm going to read both of them. A reading from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, 
whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The country's leaders care more about their reputations than good governance or the welfare of the people entrusted to their care. Religious leaders and institutions are no longer trusted, and the voices of prophets holding leaders accountable are sadly absent. It's the Second Temple Era in Jerusalem, the period right before Jesus makes his public appearance, and the Jewish people wonder if God has abandoned them. Despite almost every sign to the contrary, is it still possible to believe God's promises? Is there any chance of the hopeful future proclaimed by Isaiah, a future in which God is with and for God's people, especially those who suffer the most? The situation I just described sounds eerily similar to our situation today. Trust in political and religious leaders and institutions is at an all-time low, and many of us long for a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.-like prophet who loves God and holds leaders accountable to a biblical vision of human flourishing. So, Perhaps you can begin to imagine why crowds went out to the wilderness to hear John speak and to be baptized by him. They were probably curious, hopeful, and doubtful about what he was saying and doing. There was no Netflix or internet in those days, so fewer things to do and fewer ways to distract yourself during your waking hours. For most of the people who trekked out to see John and be baptized by him, life was a constant struggle. It was, in the words of Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, nasty, brutish, and short. Most people went to bed hungry and lived on the edge. They were hungry physically and spiritually. They wondered how to live a life worthy of the God they prayed to and heard the rabbis speak about each week. Now, John is probably someone you wouldn't want to invite over for dinner. To begin with, his outfit is a little over the top. He probably smells... And do you really want to honor his dietary preferences? I, for one, have never served locusts as an appetizer, let alone a main dish. 
And then there's the table conversation. How would your guests respond to being called a brood of vipers or to hearing that those who don't bear good fruit, referred to as chaff, will burn in an unquenchable fire? John would probably be a downer at any social gathering. Thankfully, the crowds who swarm to see John don't care about these things. They ask him what many of us, desperate, vulnerable, clinging to our last shred of hope, would ask or wonder about if we were there. What then should we do? Surprisingly, John's instructions sound doable, even for this largely poor and struggling crowd. They could be taken directly out of the book, Everything I Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Share, be fair, and don't bully. Live out your faith in God wherever God has planted you. If someone doesn't have a coat or food, and you have two coats and some food, share it. Don't cheat and treat the people around you with dignity. Interestingly, John doesn't tell the people in the crowd who work with and for Rome, the tax collectors and soldiers, to stop collaborating with the empire. Instead, he instructs them to love their neighbors in small but significant daily acts of generosity and kindness. John's message is not just a call to belief or trust, but an invitation to be in right relationship not only with God, but with the people in your corner of the universe. Repentance, or turning away from selfishness and death in all its forms, is about loving our neighbors through daily words and actions. The crowds were filled with expectation, and they wondered if John might be the Messiah. But he was the voice crying in the wilderness, promised by the prophet Isaiah. John was tasked with waking people up and helping them face the truth about their lives and world. He was the long-hoped-for prophet who pointed toward Jesus, the God who came in the flesh to set God's people free. What might sound to some like bad news is actually good news, because God has not given up on God's people. God heard the suffering of God's people and responded with a profound act of love, sending Jesus in great vulnerability to rely on the hospitality of those he came to serve. Sunday, the third Sunday in Advent, is often referred to as Rose Sunday because the readings are hopeful and uplifting. In his letter to the Christian community in Philippi, present-day Greece, Paul is able to experience joy in a period of uncertain waiting. He's in prison, and he writes to a group of Jesus' followers he loves dearly. The community he writes to has partnered with him in ministry, 
and he refers to their relationship as koinonia, meaning fellowship. Today's short passage comes at the end of Paul's letter. Paul is able to rejoice and find peace in uncertain circumstances because he knows God is with him. The God who pursued him and confronted him on the road to Damascus is with him whatever happens. Paul knows God is near. He exhorts his fellow believers not to worry, but to hand their concerns and anxieties over to God. For Paul, joy is not a feeling, but an act of trust. Born of his experience of God's presence and his knowledge that God can rectify his wrongs and the wrongs of all around him. He trusts that the God of love, who has been faithful in the past, will continue to be faithful to his people, come what may. I want you to take a moment to get in touch with how you feel right now. Are you happy? Sad? Excited? Fearful? Energized? Stressed? Calm? Or anxious? What are you grateful for? And what are you worried about? What do you hope for this Christmas and New Year? How might the God whose birth we celebrate this Christmas speak into those worries and hopes? Joy is an important part of the Christian life. By joy, I don't mean feeling happy now or all of the time. I don't mean ignoring pain, suffering, anxiety, and stress. I don't mean glossing over hard questions, complexity, or ambiguity with pat, upbeat answers. What I do mean is a deep trust that whatever you or we go through, God is with and for us. Trusting in God's promises let us then rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let us now pray the Be Still Prayer together, moving into a period of silent reflection.
be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Let us pray together one last time. I invite your prayers for friends, family, and those who are alone. I invite your prayers for countries, places, and people you're concerned about. I invite your prayers for those who are ill and suffering. I invite you to pray for this fragile earth, our island home. I invite your thanksgivings. I invite you to pray for those who have died. Praise to you, abundant God, for when we ask, you give. When we seek, you show the way. When we knock, you answer. Praise to you for your unfailing grace. Make us now your faithful people. Amen. To God's gracious mercy and protection, I commit you. God bless you, keep you, and be gracious to you. The Lord's face shine upon you. The light of God's countenance lift you up and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty be with you and remain with you forever. Amen.